All right. Uh, Titanium PowerBook G4. I have one right in front of me, in fact, right now. The Time Book. Yeah. All right. Uh, see, I, here's a question. Before we get into this, here's a question. Do you think people who are the other people who do this with you do research? Because I never, I never, I wrote, I had the list of computers, but I realized when I hear, listen back to the episodes, I'm like, how do they have all these facts about these so, computers? It's like, oh, they must prepare. Some people do. Some <laughs> people have like an old Mac website up or they've done a little bit of research and other people don't. Yeah. I feel like I wish I did. I feel like I, I, that would be better to have the it, the numbers on the off the top of my head. All right. Anyway, never mind. Forget it. It's too late for that now. We yep. got to go with what we got to go with what was like the third, fourth one of these things we do. We're just we're winging it. Yep. <laughs> That's what we do. Um. All right. The tie book. My recollection of this. See, this has to start because I'm like I can't be sure because I didn't have it in front of me. Um. Kind of like the Power Mac uh, G5, where the uh, the specifications leaked. And uh, people didn't believe them because they sounded too good. This is similar, only the specifications didn't really leak to my recollection. Uh, when the Tybook was uh, introduced, up to that point, the Mac laptops they'd been they'd been good and fine, and you know they'd taken a journey through the wilderness a little bit, but they weren't uh, they weren't perceived as being on the cutting edge of anything, right? And clearly, a new laptop was needed. And when the Tybook came and it was introduced, it was you know the the i remember the audience was just blown away by what they were shown right it was so thin and it had a g4 instead of a g3 which the g4 up to that point had been considered a desktop chip uh and its design was so unlike any computer any uh, laptop that had come before it that it was really just hitting on all cylinders a pure lust object for the mac using mm-hmm. enthusiasts and a big step past the previous ones. Because not, not that the previous ones were big or fat or ugly or whatever, but this was just so elemental. It, it crossed some threshold of width and thinness and, you know, simplicity being basically a rectangular solid with a very, very thin screen. Uh, it was just a very impressive machine. I, I think this may be the first Mac that, you know, I keep using the word lust, but like that... that people lusted after at a sort of visceral level not just the technical level because spec wise it was good i mean it was a g4 and everything but it wasn't because of the benchmarks it was because of the way this machine looked and how thin it was and how light it was you said lust and it made me laugh because well, first off and and the thickness of it right like jobs on stage is like one inch thin one inch That's thin right. uh, mm-hmm. but this is also infamously i would say this is we have the sex um, it's what he said, which is like, first See, off, I, that's why I should have watched the, uh, uh, the keynote. I would have known this. We I, have like, the sex. Obviously something is tickling the back of my brain about it. Yeah. Which of course, you know, where is he? What? Nobody says that. I, th- I think he means sex appeal, but like, and I don't like, I, one of my peeves is people referring to technology as sexy. Um, but we have the sex. <laughs> it's like, uh, but it was like, one of the reasons I picked this is like, it's the first silver, thin apple laptop coming from thick curvy black plastic to this and although they didn't quite get it right you know titanium was probably not the right decision they went to aluminum it was definitely not they went to aluminum they learned a lot about aluminum um you can see the impulse here even though it's not quite what a laptop would be and they had a lot to learn this is the like everything up to today i think evolves from this one yeah like it was it, it, the stumbling on the the details of the material uh, is secondary to basically getting the sort of design ethos correct, which is, uh, you know, we talked about the uh, iBook G3 before. No more tail fins. Um, not even any kind of subtle curves, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. It's uh, it's elemental thinness and flatness, and it's rectangular solid, right? And yeah, the corners are curved a little bit, and there's rounded corners when viewed from the top. But beyond that, it is very elemental, right? And that has carried through, despite the fact that the particular materials and the details of the design and how many parts and so on and so forth have changed over the years. If you look at one of the current power books, you could sort of fit it in the same shape category. The same shape sorter would accept the current power books as would accept the tie book. Yeah, it's... um. You know, they were and brittle the, and scratchy, scratchy and, and yeah, had like touch-up paint and two-tone and, like, lots of stuff that was not quite right. They didn't have it right. 
Well, so they, the thing is, the material, they hadn't uh, landed on the material that would carry the PowerBook, you know, I keep saying PowerBook, but yeah, so carry the MacBook Pro or whatever we call it now uh, through to its current form, which is the machined aluminum. Fine, right? But they know what they wanted to make, and they figured out how can we make that, what's the best way that we can make that? Because the re a rectangular solid like that looks simple on the outside, but you have to, of course, fit all the stuff on the inside. So what do you make the case out of so you don't have a thousand parts? There are obviously way more parts in the tie book than there are in any unibody MacBook, but given the sort of subframes they had to have and what the outside and everything, like picking an exotic material, this is part of, part of the whole, you know, desirous uh, techno lust for this product. Titanium, right? As little as that material may have been a factor in the actual product and, you know, the problems that it caused with the paint flaking off and everything like that. The whole idea was we need to find a material that is strong enough and light enough to make this laptop as elemental as this. Uh, and it turns out those weren't any of the right materials, magnesium, titanium, plastic, whatever. Those weren't the right ones, right? And eventually they did find the right one, which is aluminum computer controlled machined out and everything like with the, the original MacBook Air, right? They found that eventually, but using strange, uh, you know, exotic sounding materials to achieve their goal earlier than they would have otherwise is, is a totally an Apple move. Yeah, I also, the name, putting it in the name was a message. I was talking about this with Gruber, um, you know, a lot of plastic laptops and Apple comes out and, and literally puts um, the metal is in the name of the product. Like this is a metal laptop. None of this plastic stuff. It's metal. And yeah, it was more always prominent the, in such. the name than in the product, but mm. that doesn't matter, right? It's true. You know, that, and the, so many problems with this because this design was really pushing the limits of what they were able to make. The hinge, the flaking paint, like these, these machines did not hold up. This design did not stand the test of time. It's actually a very delicate thing, a lot like a you know a Ferrari or something, where it's an amazing machine, but you it's delicate. You have to be careful with it, and parts on it can break very easily, and they're expensive to replace. And it was you know. Not the right long-term design, but definitely daring and uh, and bold and a statement machine. That's why people remember it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It was a, it was a bold design for the time, and it also set us on a path. It it declared their intentions for laptop design, and they followed through, even though they didn't know what they were doing. Kind of when. I mean, it's a great product. It's not like they didn't know what they were doing, and they released a bad product. But they released a product with lots of flaws because they had not yet kind of had the chance to learn better ways of building a product like this. And, and, they got and I there. feel like the people who got them were happy to have them mm. because it was so thin yeah. and so powerful. Mm -hmm. Like you could, there was, this is a class of chip that wasn't in laptops before. And this thing was so thin and the screen was so big and the bezels were so thin around the monitor. And like, yes, it was the paint, the paint would flake off and you know, the, the hinge would get all creaky or whatever. But I don't think you will find someone who owned one of these when they were new who has anything but fond memories for it. That's what, a yeah. pro that, same thing with sports cars. Lots of people have sports cars that break down all the time and are very delicate and finicky, but love them and have great memories of them. This was that type of machine. Yep, I agree. Um, moving on in the evolution of the Apple laptop, before we regress, um, MacBook Air, uh, and I specified the second design because I had the first MacBook Air and it was really bad for so many different reasons. But the second one in, early, in uh, the fall of 2010, the 11 and the 13 were both announced together. And it was one of those moments where Apple was sort of saying, this is what the future of the laptop will be. And they weren't wrong. They sort of, not only was it the best-selling Mac of that decade, but it really did define um, where they were going and what all laptops would eventually be when they shed all of their, you know, optical drives and hard drives and things like that. Yeah, so the original MacBook Air uh, was more of a concept car. Did we talk about this already in past episodes? No, I it's. We did. It, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we touched on it. It's not on the list because I, I don't think it's that notable. It's a bad machine. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the original MacBook Air was a little bit of a dog, a little bit of a concept car, and that in the future, laptops could be like this, but this particular laptop isn't that great, right? And it didn't take that long for the, the technology to catch up to make more or less that same design finally work like the, all the flaws with the original macbook air had to do with what was inside the computer none of them had to do with the idea that we should take a solid piece of aluminum carve it out into a wedge shape and shove laptop parts in it that was a killer idea it's just that the parts that they could do that with with the macbook air that fit into the envelope those parts sucked the hard drive was slow the cpu was slow it got too hot the insides weren't ready for the outside the second the insides were ready for that outside, it became like 
you know, the, the most popular laptop you could possibly imagine. It was it was iconic. It was incredibly popular because when the insides could fit, they could make it cheaper. It no longer was this incredibly expensive machine, and the price only came down over the years. And it gave customers everything they wanted. People, who, especially sort of people who aren't into computers for computers' sake, don't want them to be big or, you know, intimidating or like they want it to fade into the background. Kind of the same way smartphones do, where most it's just a screen to people, and any part that's not the screen is not interesting, right? Laptop is the screen, the keyboard, and the pointing device. And any other part of that is not something that uh, the customer is interested in. So Apple got rid of almost everything that's not the screen, the keyboard, and the pointing device. And they, once they could ship that with insides that provided adequate performance, people loved them because you could still put it in your bag and it would disappear. And it was super light and it was very sturdy because it was a solid piece of aluminum on the bottom and a solid piece of aluminum on the top. And the hinge held up to abuse and it was very elemental and it was lightweight. It was, you know, a killer design that took one extra generation to get over the hump. And once it did, Apple wisely did not mess with success and just iterated on that design by putting better and better insides in it and eventually lowering the price until it went under $1,000. Uh, you know, the, you could pick any year in the range between 2010 and 2018 and say, well, that was the best one. Like, I have fond memories of the 2011 because that really just got the performance over a certain threshold. But really, honestly, any any computer in that design family at the time it was released, at the time it was updated, was a it was a great buy. Um, and there's a reason why when Apple brought the design and the name back, mostly unchanged. Like I have two MacBook Airs, two like modern MacBook Airs, uh, an M1-based one and the last Intel-based one in my house. And if you look at them, you see the this generation of MacBook Air. Obviously, the insides are way different, and the outsides are technically different if you measure them with a set of calipers, but it's a wedge-shaped solid aluminum computer with a similar size screen that's lightweight and has insides that are adequately powerful, or in the case of the M1, ridiculously powerful. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you you say they let it kind of like uh, they didn't didn't kill the golden goose. They they kind of tried though at one point, right? Like you could sense that Apple. There was that moment where they introduced the MacBook and the uh, the uh, MacBook Escape, and basically were like, "This is this is basically the MacBook Air. You could use this." Except they were way more expensive, and they kept selling the non Retina Air. And this that was an amazing moment because people just kept buying the non Retina Air, and it, it was like, "Well, I mean, th that was after an eight year run." Yeah. Of the original design it's not like that's what i'm saying like they didn't mess with success for eight years and after right. eight years they tried uh, whether it was a conscious thing to try or whether it was intel just didn't give them chips to make a retina air but yeah they they produced the the macbook the macbook escape which was look like a 13 inch macbook like it's almost as light as the other one's like no people want the wedge it the wedge is slimming yeah. the wedge feels good the wedge design and and you know they either brought it back or depending on how you subscribe to the Intel blame strategy, were finally able to make it again. And once they did, everyone just said, yeah, no, that's, that's what we yeah. want. We want that computer. Yeah. Just give that to us. And they're like, all right, you want the MacBook Air, I guess. Fine. Here, have it. Enjoy it. We will, we will enjoy it. Um, the, or, said, before yeah. we move on to yes. the fair, it just occurred to me, I've, I've owned three MacBook Airs. And I don't think there is a other computer design that I've owned more. I've owned two cheese graters, but three MacBook Airs that if you put them all next to each other, all look like MacBook Airs. Now, yep. you could arguably put my two cheese graters next to my 2019 Mac Pro and say those are all cheese graters, but I feel like there's a discontinuity there. Mm -hmm. So the MacBook Air, even in this household, and I hate laptops, I do not like them, <laughs> we bought three of them. So yep. what a successful design. Yeah, every person in my house has their own MacBook Air now. <laughs> Um, let's go back to the start, the original Macintosh. I know this is not a best of list. I know this is not your favorites. It's whatever it is. It's 20 Max for 2020. I, 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 you, you say a notable, notable, but honestly, I keep going back to the title. Jason's it's arbitrary Mac. list of Macs. <laughs> right. There are 20 of them. Yep. And it's not, you know, you, you left out an adjective. You just said 20 Max for 2020 and that's what it is. All of that said, anytime we discuss this topic of like great max of the past or whatever, if the parameters of the discussion come anywhere near something like importance mm. or uh, 
the most revolutionary or any or the most personally impactful or any of those things that sort of say what kind of ripples in the pond did this computer make when it landed my personal pond the worldwide pond like what put a dent in the universe it's very difficult to discuss for me personally and i think in general to make any argument against if that's any part of your criteria the original macintosh is just the giant you know nuclear blast asteroid however you want to put it because everything that came after it started with that one and that one for for the world of computing and certainly for me personally was such a break from the past um you know people back in the day people would argue oh, oh it's not you know the mac wasn't original that was all at xerox park or there were other guis and so on and so forth and all of that is true but totally unimportant exactly. because no one had ever used any of those other guis and even when i'd argue about this on usenet back in the day People would argue that you know contemporary GUIs that had pixels, rectangular pixels the size of boulders, were similar in nature, and it was so hard to describe the nuance of having a computer that was like an old style computer that could run a program that showed pictures, versus the Macintosh, which was, which just was a graphical user interface. There was nothing else. I think it was actually very important that there was no command line or anything like that like what there wasn't dos under the covers or you know it was it was you turned on the computer and you got the gui and that's all there was and yes obviously it was macintosh programmers work uh, workshop or whatever those other things but for regular users it was just the gui exactly um and the, when i pictured in my head about the before and the after the before times looked to me as like I don't want to say dark age because it's not quite the same thing, but they're dark. Uh, computers had screens that were black, and then onto those black screens came light-up uh, letters. They could be green or amber or whatever color they were, but that's what computers were before that. Whether it was the Apple II, where you, you get the black screen with a command prompt and you type it and you could fill it with green or different colors like that. The IBM PC or just you know whatever weird dumb terminals I was using in my elementary school to connect to some mainframe somewhere and you wrote basic programs in it or the Commodore PET or the Commodore 64. Commodore 64 at least had blue. But in general, computers were a black void and light up letters would come in and you would type on the keyboard and your letters would appear on the screen and you could type letters to tell the computer what to do and very often the computer would reply by sending you back more letters. And the Macintosh was the exact opposite of that. It was like a piece of paper, white. And onto that white landed black letters just like a piece of paper black ink on a white background and from that everything followed the computer was made up of pictures you used a mouse to interact with it all those pictures were like pencil or ink drawings on a white background the pixels were the retina pixels of the day they were very tiny and very sharp compared to their contemporaries and they were square so there was none of this weird rectangular pixel stuff that made everything look all janky it wasn't like a computer trying to draw pictures trying to be a picture thing it just was in an elemental way and lots of parts of the interface reinforced that idea the finder which i love so much was so uh doggedly reliable and predictable because everything in it behaved like if you had cut those little things out of pieces of paper you could move them around and you could uh you know open up a folder and it would be a little window and you can move that around and resize it and it was just utterly predictable and consistent limited in many ways sure but so comforting i think i've described this many times as the the world of the computer and the world of the computer was kind of like a <laughs> trying to give a modern uh, version of this kind of like people's places in animal crossing it was a little place that you had that you could arrange to your liking with cute little pictures and there's nothing you could do in animal crossing to accidentally land at a command prompt and the same it was the same with the mac and everything flowed from that. Mac Paint, Mac Write, the, the mouse, the desktop publishing revolution. This was such a step change from a discontinuity from the computers that came before it. I don't think they're the, the only thing that you could possibly compare it to is obviously, the, you know, the, the iPhone and the phones that came before. It. But even that, if you look squint at it the right way, is like a GUI of a different kind with a touch interface. This jump from computers that just show letters on a screen and you speak to them by essentially typing things and hitting return to this thing where you do none of that 
was incredible and it had a profound impact on my life. And regardless of the initial success of the very limited Mac 128K and regardless of the computers that were quote unquote better than it that followed, including essentially every Mac ever made, doesn't matter because this was the statement computer. This was the product that you could buy as a consumer that showed the way computers would work from now on, kind of like the iPhone showed the way the smartphones would work from now on. And also, it was the biggest change from the previous generation to the next that I think we have ever seen and probably will ever see. Because going from non-GUI to GUI is always going to be bigger than going from GUI to a different kind of GUI. I think um, being able to explore a computer, for me, is the thing that made the GUI so much more effective than the command line because the command line it's a bl- it's a blank line right and you don't know what to put there and with the mac just look around and poke at things right like click what happens when i click here what happens when i do this what happens when i do that oh here's a list of commands and another list of commands and what happens if i do this thing and i'll i'll push this button and and see what happens and we take that for granted now but that you can sort of intuit an interface but like command line computers, you basically had to have a manual and you had to read it because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do literally anything. Yeah, there's another nuance of the Mac that I used to argue with endlessly for people who said, well, this computer has a GUI or they added a GUI to the 2DS. Isn't it the same as the Mac now? This sort of underlying fundamental principles that came with the Mac, it wasn't just that it was a GUI. It was that it was a specific GUI, that they really committed to the ideas of user interface consistency and logic behind it, you know, just you can say these things, but if you don't implement them in the system, it doesn't matter. So for example, the pitch of of the Mac was there are certain interface paradigms that if you, once you learn the paradigm, it's like that in every program. This was a big pitch on the early Mac because computers were quote unquote hard to use back then and arguably still are, but they really were back then. And so they said, if you learn how to use pull-down menus, if you learn the sort of noun, selecting a noun and selecting a verb from menu to act on that noun, if you learn things like double-click to open, if you learn that option uh, drag uh, copy, you know, copy something, or, you know, if you, if you learn, like, if you learn these paradigms and you learn them in one program, when you get your second program, you aren't starting from zero because Apple was very, uh, you know, very insistent that its user interface guidelines be followed. And it led by example, MacWrite and MacPate being two examples. You know, if you used one and you got another program, you're like, oh, I recognize a lot of these things. Because again, you were seeing pictures on the screen. They all had the menu bar. It was always at the top of the screen. Pull down menus worked the same way. The first couple menus had the same familiar items. Quit was at the bottom of the file menu every single time. It was always command Q. Save was always command S. Like this sounds like something we take for granted today, but so many early GUIs, we're not so much on that page. Like, oh, you can make windows and pictures, but just make whatever kind of program you want. Uh, and the Mac was not like that. And that's, you know, that's that's where it got its ease of use. It wasn't like, oh, it's got pictures on the screen. Any computer with pictures on the screen will be equally easy to use or have programs that are equally as good. No. And on top of all of that, what the Mac had was a sense of joy and wonder that a lot of these other systems didn't. It had personality. This Many books talk about this as well. The, pers- the personality and sense of humor and values of the people who made it came through in the computer and in every aspect it helped that a lot of these important programs were written by one or two or three people and it helped those one or two or three people were brilliant and interesting people and it helped there was a strong hand guiding the entire project insisting on certain things being the same despite all these strong personalities so it's not just that it was a gooey computer and it was the first one that was kind of popular right it's the specifics of the system a mac that is not as the good as good as the Mac may be as important, but wouldn't be as beloved or amazing, right? It would just be like, oh, the first one, but it was actually terrible, and then they got better after that. This was the first one, and the things that were bad about it were technical details that don't matter, like not having enough memory and not having a hard drive and so on and so forth. But the things that were good about it overwhelmed that massively, um, and sort of exploring the interface. Like I, I got the original Mac when I was nine years old, right? And I'd had computers before. We had a VIC-20. And the VIC-20 was you hook up to your TV and you type things. And I'd taken a basic oh, yeah. class and I'd taken a typing class and I'd done all these things. And we got this computer and talk about exploring. You put that in front of a nine-year-old, I just spent all day, like, with a mouse in my hand, finding every single thing you can click and what it does and all the different key things you could do with the keyboard. It was just, it, it, was, it was like a little, that's why I came here to Animal Crossing, which is like a little place I could go 
and there was no there were no limits i could just look anywhere do anything make anything i wanted how, how many hours did i spend just on brush mirrors alone in mac paint right it was just a miracle or just in the finder arranging files making folders making documents mm-hmm. renaming them it's just it sounds silly now but coming from a world where it was just a giant empty void and a command prompt blinking at you demanding input it was so incredibly different yeah um I don't know if you've got. I mean, the hardware. I'm trying to think of other things to touch on. The, the, uh, I mean, the, the, some you haven't touched on this already. You definitely should. So the machine itself being Elemental, a computer hmm. with a single floppy drive as its only storage mechanism, a tiny nine-inch black and white screen, which very small. Even then, it was it was a small screen, monochrome instead of grayscale. Uh, the mouse obviously being super important with one giant button on it, and then the keyboard. Uh, no function keys, no numpad, no arrows, no home end. None of that. No arrow keys in particular stands yeah. out because that was an intentional omission to make sure that that despite Apple's, you know, warnings to the contrary, that no one who tried to make Mac software would say, oh, well, we're just going to make it like our PC software and you'll use function keys and arrow keys to move stuff around. Like, it'll just be whatever we're currently making for DOS or the Apple II. Yeah, that, but on the Mac. And it's like, you're not going to have arrow keys. We want you, to, our users, to use the mouse all the time, which in retrospect is a terrible thing to do, yeah. right? But I feel like because even on the Mac, you need the arrow keys, right? But it was important. It was a statement. It was a deterrent. Don't even try to bring that crap here. Don't take your DOS program and turn it from green on black to be black on white and say, yay, we made a Mac program. Because you could do that. You could make a window and fill it with a bunch of character displays. Oh, sure. But that's not a Mac program at all. And this this was a statement computer in that way and i have to say as a nine-year-old having used computers with arrow keys for computing life before that the lack of arrow keys on this computer was a non-issue right now maybe if you're writing papers on it it would slowly drive you up a wall i did not care the mouse was such a revelation the lack of arrow keys was nothing to me like i'll i'll move the insertion point with the mouse no problem it was just it was a joy to use yeah the um the all-in-one nature, I mean, the silhouette of it, too. Like, people, I think, know that shape without even knowing what it represents now. But it is it is this sort of perfect, beautiful, iconic um, object, too, even it, now. It was adorable. It had personality. It had personality from the second you turned it on. There were a little picture of itself smiling back at you. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it was vertical instead of horizontal. All computers up till then were wider than they were tall, unless they were a tower computer on their edge, right? And had a separate monitor that you put on top of it. Even if they didn't, like I said, the dumb terminals I used at school, I think, were like, uh, you know, a, a CRT attached to a sort of keyboard. And they were wide and squat. They were, they were sort of Commodore pet-shaped, but imagine, you know, molded into one big thing. And this was not. This was a little vertical thing, like a little like a little Rory Calhoun just standing there on your desk. Uh, and you know the adorableness and the attractiveness and, and how cute it was attracted me to it immediately. Before we got ours, I saw my grandfather's and uh doing the the guided tour i don't know if you remember that it was an audio cassette for the guided tour because the computer Ooh. could not play this kind of audio so you do something on the screen it's like those storybook things in school and at the same time you would play the audio cassette next to it so it'd be like you know the audio cassette would tell you to do something on your screen and then you do it and then the audio cassette would said stop the tape and when you're ready move you're like just doing that it reminded me so much of like film strips in school or whatever where the audio would be separate from the video and it would guide you through and you got to play the snake game and you got to learn how the mouse worked and i did the, that's how i learned to use a mac initially it was like how does a mouse work the guided tour cassette that came with the thing i went through it and it taught me how to use it and you got to play the maze game and it's a whatever they wanted you to click on and just it, it all it all came together and it all worked and if a nine-year-old could get sucked in and you know within you know, one or two days become the expert in the household on the Mac. That was the ultimate proof that this computer that was supposed to be easy to use really was. Like we made the same comparison when you know iPads would come out and everyone said their two year olds just figure out have figured out the iPads. This was the same, but it was the first time this ever happened yep. with computers. Um, I think PowerBooks next. The not the one hundred, but you know, the, basically the one forty and the one seventy and those that followed that. The first wave of real. Um, I'm kicking the PowerBook 100 out because it was different and I don't like it. But um, I don't know if you have 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 thoughts. Did you use these? Were you old enough to have these, or were they something you admired from afar? I don't think I had ever had a laptop by the time the PowerBooks came out. Um, 
I wanted these very badly, but I uh, they were so expensive. <laughs> like like Macs alone were expensive, and then the PowerBooks were even more expensive. And the reason I wanted them was because I could kind of tell that this was an important moment in the design of computers that are powered by a battery that you take with you in a way that the Mac Portable is not. Um, Apple had hit on something here, this basic design of how a laptop should look and work. Yeah, they're this is you know pushing pushing up the 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 palm rest and putting the pointer below, which obviously they had to do because Mac o, the Mac OS or the system or whatever you want to call it, like DOS didn't necessarily need a pointing device of any kind, but the Mac did, so they had to invent a way for it to work ergonomically. Yeah, and if, if you had looked at PC laptops before this, I think they, they would call this a clamshell design because the hinges at the back. What PC laptops would do is they would the screen would be the top part, and then it would be a hinge, and then there would be the bottom part where the computer guts are. That's not something that Apple invented. But they would fill the whole bottom part with their keyboard, and the keyboard would have rows of function keys and arrow keys, and they'd stick all sorts of buttons uh, around there. And the Mac just couldn't do that because you're, what are you going to do? Tell people they have to use a mouse on their on the uh, leg of their pants or something? Right? You need a pointing device. Uh, the PC's answer to this by this point was to have pointing devices that you would you know sort of clip onto the side of your laptop and you'd use them. Uh, but Apple did what they had to do, and it, when faced with this problem, I said, "Yeah, push the keyboard back, put the pointing device in front of it," which you know seemed at the time to be. You could imagine someone, a, a PC a, a laptop user looking at this and saying, look at how Apple has had to sort of modify the traditional laptop design. Boy, isn't it a pain if your only interface is a GUI. You have to find a place for this pointing device. But obviously, uh, even though it took many years for people to realize GUIs were the future, and this basic design of what a laptop looks like endures to this day. This is This is the iPhone moment for laptops. Apple had arrived on the elemental design for this entire product category, and whether PC laptop makers knew it or not, eventually all laptops would look like this. And today, the only difference is, and Apple sort of innovated this as well, instead of a trackball, it's touchpad. But that basic design is because it turns out everyone needed a pointing device, and it turned out this is the place where you put the pointing device. You could have done it the other way, where the keyboard is forward and the pointing device is behind it, which would probably be worse and seems weird to people. But the fact that when I say that, imagine a laptop with the keyboard close to you and the pointing device above it, people recoil, shows how we've accepted the design. We've internalized it as this is the home. Of course, this is the only way a laptop can be. As Johnny Ive used to say, once you have a design, it seems obvious. Not only does it seem obvious... Anything other than this seems just fundamentally wrong. Uh, and very few people, except for old school Mac users, know you know where that design came from? Yeah, Apple. Apple did that with this one line of computers, which, by the way, was a great line of laptops, right? It, especially coming after the Mac Portable. They were great machines for their time. They were elegant, stylish, powerful, you know, not too big. <laughs> they weren't 16 pounds. They did not have lead acid batteries. They had a high quality feel. Even the mm -hmm. innovation of the trackball, having two buttons where you could hit the one closer to the space bar with your thumb while fingers were still on the keyboard. And there was also the button below that. Uh, you know, good screens on the, on the color models. Uh, this was a great design. This, this design language specifically for Mac laptops of the dark gray slash black thing lasted basically until the tie book. Um, so it was... It was an important machine. It was well executed. It was important for the entire industry and the world, and they were good machines for their time. I was uh, looking at one today and thinking that it's like the the PowerBook take on Snow White, where you have the um, you have the raised ridges giving you the parallel lines look that I always thought was like it's the Mac, but not quite because it's different. It's dark yeah. gray and they're raised instead of sort of being cut in and and light gray but they definitely yeah. felt of of the family yeah this design language of the sort of darker machine the sort of dark mode of the of that era carried on in the prototypes that you would see come out of applicationally obviously 20th anniversary mac as well like whenever they made something internally and wanted it to be cool looking, whether it's arguably the Newton or that weird looking Apple office phone prototype or like a stereo, like tons of Apple prototypes that leaked out very, very often. Once they stopped being Snow White design language, they started being this because this was dark and serious and businesslike and sort of. In a, in a 80s, a late 80s, early 90s jet setting executive type of way. And the same thing with the ad uh, campaign for this. What was it? The 
Was it the power to be your best? Power to be your power? best, yeah. Yeah, and you, you would see uh, beautiful executives with their briefcases and their power books, often in black and white pictures, doing important executives thing. And this design language really spoke to that, really spoke to the, you know, uh, executive class and the, the elegance of a, of a serious business machine. They were arguably less playful than the Mac, certainly less playful than the original Mac, obviously not as playful as anything like the iMac or anything like that. They were trying to be serious, but even among all that, in this big field of very serious Matt Gray was the little colorful Apple logo and the little text mm-hmm. with the whatever was Apple Palatino font that said Macintosh on it. So it was, it was a, this was like the space gray of the day, basically, like yeah. Apple trying to put on a suit and tie for an important <laughs> class. And it worked because the people who these machines appealed to and the people who had the hojillion dollars that each one of them cost were the jet-setting uh, crowd of executives. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about about the uh, PowerBook 100 series is the kind of, I don't know, the how computers want to be mobile is basically how people want their computers to be mobile. That that for me, um, by, when I got the PowerBook 160, replacing my SE, it was one of those just breakthrough moments where you realized, oh, I can, for me, it was right anywhere. Instead of having to go to a computer lab or go to back to my house where my Mac SE was, all of a sudden, I could write anywhere I wanted. And if you look, I was looking at a early 2000s Apple event, and they were talking about how 75% of their sales were desktops or something like that. You know, in, in, a, in a span of about a decade, it flipped over to two-thirds to almost three-quarters um, laptops. La- compu- computers are far more likely to be a laptop today than a desktop because we want to have our computers with us and our phones and everything else we want them with us wherever we go and uh for the powerbook 100 that was one of those breakthrough moments where you could do with the stuff you did on your computer anywhere you wanted to and it was just a it was a huge leap and it was where computers were going like computers the whole story of computers is they get smaller and more powerful and come with us wherever we want them to go all the way to now the smartphone. Yeah. That's something that's hard to impress upon people who weren't there when it happened, how it kind of felt like, like you were getting away with something or like it was a stunt. You were giddy. You were giddy with excitement about the idea of even doing this. Right. It's just like, what? how is this? Like I'm, I'm because on the screen, through that little portal, it was 100% a Mac. It was, wasn't was like a weird portable version right. of the operating system. There was no limits. It was a Mac. And you're like, but but I'm not attached to anything. And I can I can do this wherever I want, but it's it's a Mac right there. And, you know, especially when you're young, you know, years seem longer, right? It wasn't that long between the original Mac and this first one in 1992 or whenever it was. Um, but it seemed like an eternity. And the eternity that had defined the Mac was it was a computer that you put on a desk and you plug in and you have a keyboard and a mouse or whatever. And to be able to do that same thing somewhere other than the desk where the computer was, was almost ridiculous seeming. And just you'd, you'd have that smile on your face, like that that giddy joy of like, I'm using my Mac, but I'm not. I'm not in front of my Mac. I'm anywhere. I'm a, I'm, you know, that's why all the ads show you. I'm on a park bench. I'm in a library. Yeah. It's just wherever you were, it, it felt like you were getting away with something. And you don't really get that nowadays uh, because everyone assumes everything is portable and it's just the assumed nature. And as you said, it's the unavoidable future because being tied to a desk is a limitation that is, you know, undesirable by most people. Why would you want that? Unless you're, unless it's really important for you to get something in exchange for it. Like I need the biggest, meanest, most powerful computer that can't possibly be portable for everyone else. The computer should serve my needs and my needs aren't anchored to a desk. Right. And so it's no wonder that a laptops became a dominant form, but these in the beginning, they were, they were even more expensive than the already expensive desktops. Yep. And it was going to take years and years before that sort of flipped around. But once it did, the laptop became the definition of the personal computer. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I was in journalism school when I got mine. And I had this idea like, wait a second, you mean I can take BART into San Francisco and report on a story and then get back on the train and write my story while I'm on the train? <laughs> yes, yes. And the, I the only thing I can see, think that's equivalent is the, I remember the first time I checked my email from a movie theater yeah. mm. on, on, a, on a cellular Palm. Yeah. I think it was a Palm 3. And mm-hmm. that's where also I felt like I was getting away with something. I was like, can you believe this? I'm, yeah. I'm going to read my email now 
and we're in line at the movie theater. Yeah, I'm outside like, somewhere and I'm on the internet right now. Yeah, how is the regular internet, not like a weird, but like I'm fully on the internet with this, you know, handheld device with a little antenna sticking up out of it. Yep. Um my last one for you is the is the G3 iMac, which I, I think the way I viewed the sort of pairing of the original Mac and the G3 iMac is that the, there's the one that got it started, and then there's the one that made it keep going. Yeah, the the original iMac is entirely tied up with the plight of Apple, the company, right? Uh, because it, for as important as the machine it was, and it was a very important machine on its own, on its own, its main story was. And this is the computer that saved Apple, the company that originally made the Mac, yeah. this company that we all loved, uh, that we wanted to continue. Can Apple still do great things? And the iMac definitively said, absolutely, they can, and just wait for what's going to come. Uh, that is not the only story of the iMac, but I feel like that is the most important story of the iMac. It is the turnaround computer. Now, beyond that, the specifics of how it turned things around are also amazing. The The daringness to make a computer that is teal and curvy and interesting to look at like a little gumdrop and adorable again like the original mac they even brought back the little hello thing from the you know the mac paint hello and the script thing hello again right apple knew what it had on its hand and they knew how to leverage it and on top of all that it was also a pretty good computer it had a g3 in it the i for it being internet is forgotten now but it was actually an easy computer to take out of the box set up plug in and get on the internet Apple's ads leaned on its strengths very well. It doesn't have a rat's nest of wires and a bunch of crap you can't understand. It's cute, adorable, approachable, attractive, and fun. Software-wise, it really wasn't that big of a break. It just ran the same Mac operating system that yeah. they had before, but it just shows how important the hardware was to this equation, where it's like we were selling Macs that if you just look at the screen and think about the mouse and the keyboard, how is the iMac any different? It's not. But everything around it and the packaging, like the product of the iMac really tapped into something that no one else had, it hadn't occurred to anyone else to tap into, which is people want things that are nice uh, looking and cute and daring and fashionable. Well, you know, and Jobs, there. Jobs had been, a, 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 he, you know, he had just come back. So they, they had like, they turned this thing around in a ridiculously small amount of time. And his return obviously was tied into fixing the software side and bringing out OS 10, but that was going to take time. Right. So it's like, what what can we do in the short amount of time? And the answer is we can take a bunch of existing hardware and uh, do something interesting with it. And then the other thing that he did, uh, I was talking to Harry McCracken from PC World, and he was saying how, you know, it's not that impressive technically. And I think he's right. Um, what's Some of the most impressive things about it are what it doesn't do, right? Like that it just doesn't. It's a compatibility break. In fact, it's funny when you think of it that every Mac preceding the iMac is not compatible with any Mac after the iMac. However, every Mac after the iMac either has or can be adapted to a USB port like the iMac. So like literally up to the iMac, there's one era of Mac stuff. And after the iMac is a completely different and continuous era. So like a lot of the interesting things about the iMac are what it doesn't do, that it's a break from the past, that it's just going to be USB, that there's no floppy drive, SCSI's gone, Serial's gone, ADB's gone, like all that stuff is gone. It's not like USB, having USB wasn't even innovative per se. What was innovative was that all the PCs that had it also had other fallback ports and the iMac did not. But like, it's a, that's another Steve Jobs thing, right? Is he was innovating by eliminating features. Yeah, in business schools, they should study the iMac as an example of great product design. Because uh, to, to give an idea of where Apple was and how desperate its fans were for it to see it resurgent at this time, there were many rumors swirling before the introduction of the iMac for years, in fact, before that, about Apple's set-top box. Apple is going to come out with a set-top box, which for kids who don't know what this is, it would be a box that you'd put on top of your television set, which were huge CRTs, and you could put things on top of them. Mm. or under them or whatever and it would be like a computer that you attach to your tv and it was going to lead the way to our multimedia connected world tv computing future it was a vague thing but it was like it was like we saw the technology was there to somehow do a thing with computers and tv and everyone was so desperate for apple to be resurgent and it seemed like the pc wars were over and apple had lost so let's forget about that front but maybe the next great thing will be set-top boxes and apple's rumored to be working on one and in fact, 
the thing that eventually became the iMac, internal to Apple was a Project Columbus or whatever it was called. The hardware, whether it was intended for a set-top box or was just passed around in a something that looked like a set-top box, the hardware was, you know, not not groundbreaking. It was not amazing. It didn't have amazing performance. It didn't have amazing features. In fact, most of the things that you can imagine it working on would fit inside a set-top boxes. And there's some computing stuff and you can have some video output and there's some basic input peripherals and that's it, right? The product design genius is to come into the company. Steve Jobs come into the company and say, okay, but we've got this Columbus project and the internals of which look like a fairly cheap computer that uses a G3 or whatever. Fine. Uh, and we've got this industrial design studio with a bunch of cool ideas. What can we do with that? Yeah. Uh, and, and his answer was, let's not make an amazing set-top box. It's like, uh, Steve Jobs liked the Mac for what mm-hmm. I think are obvious reasons. And he's like, let's let's make a great Mac with these pieces. And the way these pieces were assembled was in a very Steve Jobs way. Uh, the design is going to be incredibly daring. Technology-wise, there's plenty of room inside this design we have to stick the internals of what might have been a set-top box. doesn't have to be super powerful can be relatively inexpensive because that thought box had to be. And then, all right, so what features should it have? And in this, the typical Steve Jobs way, it's like all that stuff that you're about to put in this computer, you don't need that. Just, you know, if you don't need it, omit it. It will make the computer cheaper. It will make it simpler. That's going to be the pitch of this thing. You take it out of the box, you connect it one or two cables, and you're done. So legacy ports, too complicated, too expensive, don't need them. It's not the future. This thing, this USB thing is here now. That should be enough. Floppy drive, leave that out too, because that's also the past. Like, just a clean break with the past, uh, you know, at given covering fire by this incredible design that was eye-catching and adorable and attracted everybody. You don't get away with getting making a, you know, beige Performa with the I.O. and power of the iMac. Take those exact insides and those same exact product decisions and put them in like a Centra 610 case. Nobody wants that computer. It's a a dud. And when it dies, people will say, oh, the reason it died is because you didn't give it SCSI or a floppy drive. Of course, it's not going to work, right? But the complete package that they made of the iMac, huge hit, saved the company. And the only difference is the totality of the product, no one single thing about it was the thing that made it. If you omitted the floppy drive and legacy ports from a Mac in the same case, it would have been the most hated Mac ever. But you put it inside the IMAX case, and it's one of the most beloved. Also not meant to, uh, and didn't appeal to a lot of the hardcore kind of in the install base. It was it was meant to be for other people, for more casual users, maybe Performa buyers or LC buyers, but also people who hadn't thought about getting a Mac at all. They wanted an internet appliance. Like, the lack of support for legacy stuff was just sort of it was almost like a sign of like it's not for you look it's not it's not for you and so you end up with talking to technical people they're like well i didn't have one but i bought one for my mom i bought one for my brother i brought one for my kids uh you hear that a lot and you heard that back in the day you know everybody else was like well just wait you know there'll be a there'll be a a power mac coming soon and it was blue and white (laughs) they went what is that but um you know, I think that was interesting, too, that it was not it was a mass market product. I mean, like Jobs was shooting for the stars there. He wasn't trying to do what so much of Apple in the 90s was doing, which was trying to just sort of cater to their existing base. And this was not meant for that. And it, and it reached that big, wide audience. Yeah, that was the, the reputation Apple had in those days that they made super expensive things for rich people who could afford super expensive things. And it was Jobs' reputation. He was coming off next where he made like a $10,000 magnesium cube for that sold for universities, right? But that ran Unix, right? And But the, the rep that had Jobs had from the iMac on, people say, oh, Apple, they just make those super expensive things and they make them all fancy and it's a ripoff or whatever. But Jobs didn't come to Apple and make, you know, he took him a while for him to make his equivalent of the 10-inch magnesium cube, which was expensive and didn't work out, right? But he knew what we needed was a computer that set the world on fire the same way the original Mac was supposed to. Granted, Jobs was the one who really cranked up the price. On the, or, well, he had arguments about the price of that. But, like, the original Mac was supposed to be a cheaper computer. In the end, he made the best computer he could make, and it was more expensive instead of, instead of less. But he learned from Next, and he learned from the original Mac that with the iMac... What was more important to the product design was that it be approachable, both in terms of not being intimidating as a computer, but also not cost $10,000, right? So the iMac was, even for a Mac, like relatively inexpensive. Um, and that you don't save the company by making 
uh, you know, the 20th anniversary Macintosh or something like that. Those computers don't save the company. What saves the company is a computer that they makes it onto the evening news because people who didn't even know Apple was still in business suddenly poke their heads up and go, huh, what's that? Mm. Wow, that looks kind of cute. What is that? Is that a computer? And that's what saved the company, not making the world's most powerful supercomputer or something that uh, existing Mac users were drooling over. Um, color. Two, Apple's computers since the iMac have not been particularly colorful, but the iMac went through all sorts of different color versions. They varied, you know, they would upgrade the specs and people would talk about them. Oh, this has FireWire or this has a faster processor, or, and, you know, but, but so many of them was just like, oh, but the, now it's these five colors. And that, w- that was a, a, you know, a fashion kind of item that they were able to throw in the mix that they haven't done as much, although they did it with the iPod and they're doing it a little more now with the iPhones. And that's a, a an interesting aspect of this too, in, in especially if you consider this period, right? Because everything from Apple and everyone else was just beige and awful and nothing like what this thing looked like. And that's why they made, you know, what dozens, hundreds, thousands of consumer products after the iMac were, they sold a lot of transparent plastic from a lot of transparent plastic companies to the George Foreman grill and everyone else. Yeah. Apple was wise to realize, uh, why, uh, the iMac was successful. And rather than just making it a one-off, Hey, we made this cool teal computer and then went back to business as usual. They leaned on it for years. Obviously the design of the iMac rippled through the whole line from the power Mac G3 down to the iBook and they iterated and gave new colors and the fall colors, the seasonal colors, advertising campaigns. Like, can you can you imagine an advertising campaign for a computer where the whole point of an entire ad campaign was to have distinct ads that the only message was, this is the green one. Mm-hmm. It's not easy being green. This is the red one. This is the snow one, right? Like, that was the ad. The ad was simply, hey, a computer exists that is green. <laughs> like they didn't say they didn't say anything else in the ad about it will help you get onto the internet. There were other ads for that, but like the, an entire run of computers was just about the colors. And you know what? You'd watch the ads and with the iMac swirling through the frame, and you'd be like, "I want that computer. That is amazing. I want the green one. I want the blueberry one. I want the grape one." Right? People wanted these computers because the same. You know, I I talked about this for you know months on end. Again, more arguments on the internet back in the day. This is how people buy cars. Cars cost hugely more than computers for most people. Cars are these giant, incredibly heavy, expensive, deadly devices, and we pick them based on how pretty they are. Like, that's, that's how the car industry has always worked. You go into the dealership and the car catches your eye. And for people who are saying, well, that's, you know, computers shouldn't be sold this way. It's like cars are sold this way. To arguably houses are sold this way. What's the most important thing about a house? It has to look cute. What's the most thing about a car? Curb appeal, right? Yeah. It's like, and that costs us the most expensive things people ever buy. And somehow computers can't be bought and sold based on that. It's not important. You have to look at the clock speed and the storage and how much RAM you get for a certain amount of money. It's like, but why? That's not how humans work. No matter how expensive and important the product is, if you make something that is beautiful and appealing, that's like 90% of the battle. That's why they could have an ad campaign that just played rock and roll music over over a Snow White Mac and just end the ad with iMac, Apple, and people would plunk down their money. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is the, I think this is one of the product genius things about Steve Jobs, actually, is he, and you and I both read, read a lot of books about Steve Jobs. He had, he was kind of not a computer guy in a way. And like had an understanding of human nature and of marketing and product that was a weird fit for the tech industry. But I think it gave him that perspective of not wanting the faster horse, right? Not wanting to just sell things based on horsepower or or whatever the specs were, but understanding like what motivates somebody, what do they want? And I think that's what pushed him into the, the all-in-one designs. And I think it was it was the the color of the IMAX as a part of that because, as you said, it's not logical that you buy a house because of curb appeal, or or you buy a a very expensive car because of the shape of the of the air intake. But it's true. Yep, and then that and the thing is, the more expensive the car gets, the more the shape of the sheet metal 
yeah. is a factor in mm-hmm. you wanting to get it. Nobody's going to spend a hundred grand on a car that they don't love the looks of, right? They'll spend, you know, 15 grand on a car that they don't love the looks of because it's utilitarian. But as the price goes up, it had better be beautiful, right? The same thing with the houses. People will pick houses, yes, location, this, that, and the other thing, but it really has to look nice from the outside. The, the important thing with Jobs when it comes to this product design is, yes, he understood that, the, you know, the thing that basically any other product designer would understand in an industry like fashion or even, you know, cars, obviously, or home appliances or whatever, or what have you. But he had to combine that with a sort of, affinity for technology which he clearly had because if you had just taken someone who is like a fashion designer and said make a computer you would you could have got computers that are just as cute uh, and adorable and con- colorful and fun as the iMac but you have to care about the tech stuff too you have to understand the consequences of omitting the floppy and omitting adb in favor of usb and understand the possibilities of that you know cd or dvd drive and understand what you can do with software with idvd and iLife and all that stuff you have to be sort of a a technologist to understand and care about that part and be enthusiastic about it because you could see in steve jobs eyes the idea that people would take their home movies and be able to edit them into something like that he loved that stuff he loved the technology but he also understood human nature and product design outside of computers and you have to combine those to get something like the imac you know we never really got the opposite which was Take someone who doesn't really care about technology and just make a fashion computer. Nobody ever did that because it's like, that will never fly. No. It took Steve Jobs having both halves and putting them together, and you have to take care of both. If Steve Jobs didn't really get jazzed about technology, none of these things would have been successful. But, you know, that, that, that's that's what I feel like the part that a lot of people left out. And when, when like, Compaq or whatever made, like, a computer and they slapped, like, teal plastic on the front of it, it was yeah. just embarrassing. I think, was it, yeah, Compaq or HP that they had, like, snap-in color panels. It was literally just their mm-hmm. regular boring PC, but you could snap in a color accent panel. <laughs> Yay! Um, it was like three PCs inside an, uh, an iMac colored trench coat. Yeah, to fool somebody. <laughs> the uh, last thing about this, not to go back to color again, but I, I asked this to a few people, and I'll ask you too. Um, do you think it's time for Apple to put color back on the Mac again? The Mac has been largely a monochromatic computer since the iMac was discontinued. The G3 iMac was discontinued. Is that all cyclical? The iPhone has certainly gotten very colorful lately. Do you think that the the Mac's going to pick color up? Because I I, I would, uh, you know, I've been beating that drum for a while. But what what do you think about color on the Mac? Because the Mac's been very black, white, silver for, uh, you know, a couple decades now, almost. I've got to go back to the car analogies again. You know, I love them. Um, So... Fashion is cyclical. Uh, if you look at like the bell bottoms of the 60s and how that trend comes back periodically and the flamboyant fashions versus very uh, refined fashions, it seems like you would think that, oh, with computers, it's the same thing's going to happen, right? Fa- color will be in fashion and then it will be very, you know, gray and uh, serious, but then color will come back. But I think the better analogy is the car industry where the cars were fairly utilitarian in the beginning because that's what they had to be because they were, had just been invented. Uh, and we come back to the tailfin error again, where suddenly the you know the industry landed on the idea that we can make a quote unquote new car every single year, and the main thing we'll change about it is the shape of the sheet metal on the outside. And there was an arms race to to uh, between the uh, car makers who could make the most daring and attractive design. You know, tailfins being the obvious example, completely non functional, pointless, potentially very dangerous things on your car. Uh, they were like plumage on a bird. Uh, and each year you'd make the car wider and shinier and add more chrome and add taller and taller tail fins and little jeweled uh, headlights. And th- that era of car design uh, was kind of like the, you know, 60s fashion era with everything being brightly colored and tie dye and psychedelic and, and, you know, like I said, the bell bottoms and everything like that. But when it comes to making a machine, a thing that actually has a technological angle to it, that those features, those fashion features have consequences to the functionality of the device, it's hard to uh, recapture that kind of whimsy because, in, for example, in the modern car era, things like fuel efficiency and safety become... Uh, th- those are such factors in the design that you really can't go back to an era when you wasted space and sheet metal and aerodynamic drag on frills because they make it a worse car so uh, people may 
complain about current car designs not as being interesting and as flamboyant, but a lot of it has to do with safety and a lot of it has to do with efficiency. And in the end, those are important enough that if you made a throwback car that really, uh, you know, echoed the excesses of the 50s tail fin era, nobody wants that car. So in the same way, because most personal computers are laptops these days, if you made a laptop that was like the iBook, the original iBook, and was had hips and flares and all sorts of flamboyant things sticking out of it, it may look superficially attractive, but it's not going to fit in my bag, and it's going to be heavier and bulkier, right? So I think you can never go back to that level of excess because, put simply, the products today are better products in important ways that would be subverted by that design. That said, if, you, if you're just talking about personality and color, that absolutely can come back. Uh, as shown with the phones, right? They The phones are tucked in so much that they're basically just these little amount of screens, but you can just look at someone's phone case. You know, if we were going out on public transportation, just look at look at the cases people put their phones in. They are incredibly bold and flamboyant, but in the end, someone's going to reject a phone that has, you know, tail fins or flares or fenders or hips on it. It just needs to be the screen, but around the back of the screen, you can be as wild as you want. So a... Purple MacBook Air, I think, would sell great. But a return to the the excesses of the iBook is just not a good product in the in the modern context. Yeah. So we definitely can get much more bold and daring than we are now, and that is fashion, but we will never return to the tailfin era. Yeah, I'm really basically saying, you know, I, I remember the iPod mini. I know you can anodize aluminum in blue. <laughs> Maybe and, and in fact the iPhone twelve and twelve mini are anodized aluminum with bright colors. Um, so give me a blue MacBook Air. Come on. And, That's all. You know, in, in, Apple does still make desktop computers. And in the realm of desktop computers, there is some leeway to be cute again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I mean, the Mini is arguably cute, but it's cute in a very elemental kind of way. Uh, but the rumors of Apple making a smaller Mac Pro, for instance, you could make a smaller Mac Pro look cute and have personality in a way you can't for a portable because... If it's going to be smaller than the current one, it's already you, you've got a little bit of leeway to put some hips and flares on it. Heck, that my computer's got big handles sticking out of the top of it. Which, yes, I know they're utilitarian, but a lot of it is also fashion, right? Yeah. So tail there fins. is room still, maybe not for tail fins, but definitely for <laughs> hips on desktop computers. All right. Well, they don't lie. That's what I hear. The hips. Such modern references for such, a, such an old man. I know. Every now Actually and then. Modern. That the 90s? It's not, that's that an was, old that was, song now. It was like last year, right? 90s? <laughs> it's like five years ago, the 90s? Uh, yeah, sure. Hey, hips don't, hips don't lie, by the way. 2006. So, in fact, oh, really? so, okay. a, a reference so old that it's as old as the Mac was when the iMac came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 14 years is all that was, John. I know this was a, a random order, but uh, if you don't make the original Mac number one, I'm going to be very angry. Well, John, I have news for you. That wasn't a random order. We counted them down to number one. God damn it. I knew it. I knew you were going to pick the iMac. You're wrong, but it's your list. But you can be wrong. Uh, I mean, they'll all get their due. It's 20 Macs. I mean, it's 20. The the PowerBook, putting the PowerBooks at number two is even more controversial, I think. No, I I don't care. You're putting that at number, what? Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Well... Yeah, we counted them down. Titanium PowerBook I mean, is five. Was, MacBook Air is four. Original Mac is three. PowerBook is two. It, you kept and G3 describing is it as notable. Yeah, notable is almost like important. Notable. Yeah. It, you, it is important. Should, They're all I think important. You should just stick with twenty Macs because that's the only <laughs> thing that's factual. That there are twenty of them. Everything else is there BS. are. That's fine. That's fine. Steven's on my side on this one. But uh, he know? He, he does. He's, just, he's a whippersnapper. <laughs> he doesn't know anything. He's. He is, uh, whenever I see him with his collection, I think it's like someone like, you know, curating a collection of your childhood, like, like an ar- future archaeologist saying, mm-hmm. look how these people lived. Look at these devices they use. Look at their yeah. kitchen utensils. It's a little I, troubling. I, 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 what I, I, what amuses me is that he's very interested in OS 10. And so almost nothing he has predates the OS 10 era. So I'm like, do you have a power book? And he's like, nope. God. Like, why would he? Well, why? Well, they'll just doing, be doing archaeological digs in Mill Valley and say, look how mm-hmm. these people lived. Yeah, Look what is this? A, devices. a a, a uh, an iMac? What is that? <laughs> what were the purpose of these I su- huge these huge glass tubes with mm. plastic around them? It's a uh, 
Uh, I sent you the Dropbox upload link. I also sent you in the Skype chat. There was a uh, uh, YouTube link while you were talking about the iMac. That's the uh, she's a she's a rainbow. The Rolling Stones ad that they did, where it's literally just a bunch of colored iMacs floating yeah. around. <laughs> Yep. Saying colors, the, computer, buy the gumdrop gum ones. Yeah, yep. I think the fall colors were the ones to get the individuals. There was the, yeah, there was sage. the cream, the cream song for the white one. There was it's not easy being green yep. for the green one. What yep. was the what was the blue one? Uh, strawberry fields forever was the strawberry one. Yeah, I think. Mm, yeah, sounds right. Oh, they should have done oh, orange crush one. for the orange one. Mm. They weren't that hip though. No, they weren't. Not not until the iPod. Although, I, don't, I don't know if REM would have released uh, rights to that for a computer ad though. Probably not. All right, I have uh, I have done my my interviews now. All right. Well, where do I file my formal protest about the the original Mac not being number one? So, <laughs> I, I is there is there a mechanism here? Is there some sort of inquiry I, or a board I'm still, that I can appeal to? I'm still pondering <laughs> that in January, what I want to do is almost like an aftermath thing, which is like the ones that I that I could have put on the list and maybe regret not. Um, complaints about the list, like, and deal with all of those, all of those sort of things. That's, that's my only. That's my only complaint. Oh, the other ones, I give you wide latitude. But yeah, I, you know, did, did I, did I not put it number one in part to spite you? You, you, you know, yeah, no, I don't know. You maybe already. I, I think you already told me what the order was, and I already yeah. knew this. But I, I'd, I'd forgotten because I'm old. But now I just now it's all, it's all new. It's, it's all fresh, <laughs> fresh wounds. It's like again, right? yes, you have reopened the wound now. Oh no, exactly. It's terrible. I don't know. I mean, it is. It wouldn't. It, we would not be here without the original Mac, but mm-hmm. we would also not be here without the iMac G3. So, no. But see, if we just had the original Mac and the iMac, G, not the iMac G3, it would have still been the big leap, and then Apple would have just fizzled out. Just gone out of business. Had, we still would have had the big leap. Yes. The, really, what you should be saying is what you want is the iPhone to be on this. Yeah, list, the an- that's the important one. Yeah, the the answer the answer honestly is I think the list would be really boring if the original Mac was number 1. So there you I go. Mean, that's the thing is if you want to be controversial, the only people who would agree with the original Mac are old people who were there cuz nobody yeah. who wasn't there like you can tell them how important it was like yeah yeah whatever but that computer sucked. And it's like no. That's it, it is so it is no one, fewer people would agree with you if you put the, Mac, uh, the original Mac as number one. You put the iMac as the original one. Most people are going to read this and go, "Yeah, that sounds yeah, about right." I, uh, wrong, but that's what they're going to think. I uh, <laughs> I have other reasons why I'm putting the original Mac number three, but I'm not going to share them with you because I don't want to hurt your feelings. What are you going to say? You going to say bad things about this lack of RAM? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because it wasn't a very good computer. It doesn't matter. Don't you understand? It doesn't matter. Well, that, you, to, you see, swap that's the drive. balance that takes it down to number three. Is that it's very, very, very important. In so many ways, so and also had all of these problems. All of that. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to criticize the technical details of this, the yeah. most important product of both of our lifetimes. I mean, it's great that <laughs> Benjamin Fla- Franklin flew that kite, but did you see the key? Come on. That's a bad key. Uh, yep. It's uh, more, like, more like, the, like Einstein and, and relativity. Yes. And complain, complaining about the margins on the paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Bad penmanship. Shame yeah, well, someday him. I'll do my... my my one Mac for 2100 after yeah, I, when I'm defrosted from cryostasis and the one Mac will be the original Macintosh and I'll be done with the list. That's good. Maybe it's a hypercritical post after the final one post, which is, um, this list is wrong. Here's the right list. <laughs> the thing is, I don't disagree with most of the other sortings. Cause it's like, how do you compare them? Whatever. The only one I feel strongly about is, is the, is the original yeah, Mac. I get it. I get it. And, and honestly, I could easily have put it number one. Um, I just didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. I went. I went back and forth about it, and that's where I it's ended your, up. It's your list. It's my dumb, dumb old list. That's right. And like I said, it, more people are going to agree with you than agree with me. So I get it. 